Genre. to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we get in a fight at the club in Spider-Man 3, one horrible mistake-filled minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Zach Luna. And I'm Father David Maury, a priest of the Diocese of Joliet in Illinois. <laughs> welcome, Father. <laughs> yes, Glad welcome, to be Father here. David. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it, it may seem uh, a little questionable as to like why you're here in this particular minute, but later in the week, I think this will clear this up. Um, <laughs> however, oh, I mean, it, looked, it looks just like my, my parish in this jazz club. I mean, we set up a bunch of tables, we have the live band going, we just want you know, to connect scenario. with the kids. I want to connect with the youths. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing youths love more than jazz. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about Minute 101, which starts with uh, Peter telling the bouncer to get your hands off of me and ends with uh, bells tolling for Peter. Ask yeah, not for that, whom the bell tolls. It yes. tolls well, for Parker. Well, he is Parker. for whom the bell tolls today. <laughs> That's uh. true. <laughs> Uh, Monday bells are for Peters. So uh, we've talked a lot, talked a lot about and around this moment throughout this season. Um, but this is the moment where he hits Mary Jane. Um, albeit. Oof. Uh, accidentally, I think. I don't. It, I, yeah. th- seeing it now, I'm like, I, I actually, I don't know if he, it was because he was definitely meaning to hit whoever was telling him to stop like real hard. Right. Um yeah. and I don't know if he it's not great. I don't know if he was realizing that it was Mary Jane until he saw her on the ground, but then even seeing her on the ground, he doesn't snap out of it for a second. So I'm not I can't quite tell if I I I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um Yeah, it's a it's not a great moment. No. Uh. <laughs> no. And he is not holding back at all Mm-mm. with the that blow. I mean, that you know, it, this is Spider Man we're talking about here. Mary Mary Jane should be through the wall on the other side of the room with how hard he swung around with that arm. That's true. Yeah, especially compared to the fact that you know he was he's slamming one guy into a wall and knocking these other guys back, and he's like barely touching them, and they they go flying. So. Him throwing like a full force, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know if that's a slap or a punch or backhand, backhand or yeah, um, yeah, at her, like probably should have like put her through the ground, but I guess we're happy that that didn't happen, uh, because yeah, that's, no, I don't that's want good. worse things to happen to Mary Jane oh, in this minute, not. yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I just, I it is, it is a, an awkward beat, like. Intentionally, like sour note mm-hmm. in the film, but we don't want to be enjoying this. But it is like also awkward in the execution, so it's like doubly awkward. Right. It's just a, a moment that just feels gross and wrong in several ways. Yeah, it's just not clear as to what the film's intention is for this moment. Like, is the intention mm-hmm. 
for us to say like, oh, wow, Peter is going too far. This is a huge mistake. He hit Mary Jane. Now he knows it's a huge mistake. So he's going to he's going to go and, and try and fix this. Uh, or are we supposed to believe that like he kind of pulled his punch because he knew it was her or that it was a complete accident and he had no idea or in any intention whatsoever to hurt her in any way? Like he just had no idea that that's who was grabbing him. Yeah, that last uh, yeah. one is what I lean toward because he is fully consumed by his anger. Um, yeah. you know, it's like what Dr. Connors was saying, that the symbiote draws out especially aggression from the host, and he is really giving himself over to those baser instincts and reveling in them. He's, he's reveling in his power, he's reveling in his strength, and so he's in enjoying in that, you know, kind of sick way that we can enjoy our own anger, enjoy how we feel when we're enraged and we're, you know, we can, you know, throw our weight around. And yeah. he just hauls off and hits whoever comes up to him. And I think that's why it takes him a moment to come out of the the rage because he's just mm. in this animal brain mode. He's not thinking through his actions he's given over entirely to this aggression and that's when he realizes that he is hurting the one person he loves most in the world who isn't named aunt may right (laughs) yeah it i think the the like meaning tracks well enough it's just the execution is is awkward enough that it leaves me questioning my initial take on it basically Mm -hmm. it's just a weird it's just a weird beat. Um, I guess it makes slightly more sense uh, this week why we had our friend Mark Cooper playing the bouncer here because we do have like some full-on uh, stunt shenanigans happening. Right. These, these guys thrown around. And that is like a, a a darker power fantasy, I guess, if superheroes are power fantasies uh, in general. That thing of being a person who's like been been weak, what it would be like to have power. Uh, one, of the, one of the darker impulses would be this type of thing where like some some bouncer says, you know, thinks they can overpower you and, uh, you know, you're the bi- the biggest and the strongest. Nobody can stop you. But it's um, it's just ugly to watch. Mm-hmm. Oof, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, I get very <laughs> uncomfortable here. Yeah, and I think that's obviously the intention. Um, I just think I think of all of the things that they could have done to show that Peter was being affected by the symbiote. I don't know that this was it, that this was the right choice. Um, it feels, I don't know. It feels like such a, a, a massive escalation out of nowhere, uh, that I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that this was where they should have went. Um, I think it, you know, in, in the, in the, in the comics when this happens and in other interpretations, the idea is that he starts to realize what's going on earlier and then tries to remove it yeah. and is having trouble removing it, having trouble getting rid of it. Uh, and and it feels yeah, so like... So far in this movie, he's had no problem taking off the suit when he wants to. Right. 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 Um, and in fact, it even gets more muddled later in the week as far as that uh, portion of the of the story. So I, I, I just feel like this quick escalation, this feels like something that should be happening like halfway through the movie. You know, this is like mm. the halfway turn. The halfway turn should not have been the black suit getting the black suit. The halfway turn should have been him realizing that the black suit was evil. 
Right, yeah. And again, it speaks to that earlier sin we talked about of that he really should have had the suit much, much earlier. Like right. prior to the uh, all the scenes with the in the park with the parade and stuff like right. that. No, that's what that I we kept waiting have... for in those early parts yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And I was like, well, boy, the symbiote's just taking its sweet time, just poking around and <laughs> saying, oh, what, what's in these chip bags on the floor? Oh, look at this leftover pizza that's here in the corner. I'll just, you know, kind of munch on these and, you know, for ignore weeks? it. Yeah, for weeks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really strange. I don't know what exactly it was waiting for. I don't know if it was, maybe it was waiting. Guilt dreams. Yeah. Maybe it was waiting <laughs> for him to be, like, angry before it could possess him. Um, or, or take mm. him over or whatever whatever you want to call what it does. Um, yeah, it doesn't have infrared mm. vision. It has infrared yeah. vision, so it can only <laughs> see you when you're angry. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Because um, yeah. I can't quite figure out why, we're wa- why we waited so long to get to this point where it would have been so much more interesting to have come to this point earlier and him be sort of stuck in the suit and not being able to get out of it. Uh, now, is, is that is that due in part to to uh, the conflict and vision between Raimi and the studio over what the story of the movie was supposed to be? Uh, I because think was... Raimi wanted it to be about Sandman and Harry and, mm-hmm. and have those be the main focus for the villains. And, you know, the studio is saying, oh, no, we got to have Venom. The kids love Venom. <laughs> well, they, yeah. he, they were right uh, because <laughs> Venom is still the, is like the was the top grossing Spider-Man related film until... Uh, Far from home. Far from home. Um, Thank goodness for that. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I think that that's, I, it was certainly them, you know, wanting to make this work for sure. But I think, I think that that, that um, all the research that I've done is that that sort of story of Raimi not wanting Venom uh, isn't entirely true. It's that he had no connection to Venom at all. And then mm. when um, one of the screenwriters proposed how they could use it, uh, he got interested, but I think the the issue was that he is definitely way more interested in the Sandman and Harry stuff, and is using the uh, Venom black suit symbiote stuff as like a thematic tool um, for the other story that he was trying to tell. Uh, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, you're left. You leave this movie kind of feeling like the symbiote is the only villain in the movie because everything else has layers. Harry has layers. The Sandman has layers. You know, they're not out outright evil, except for right. uh, except for the symbiote and and later um, Venom. But uh-huh. it's uh, I I think that that I think that complicates things because. You know, mm. hindsight 2020, you look at this film and you're like, well, obviously the symbiote is the villain of this movie. And the other one, the other stuff is like obstacles um, at best. But uh, it is, it is, uh, it does complicate things, I think, because, yeah. um, you know, you get to this point where we're 100 minutes into this movie and this is just happening. There's only 30 minutes left, 30, 35 minutes left of the movie at all. Um, and we're just now getting to the point where he's realizing the symbiote might be a bad thing. That that's what surprised me as I was you know watching the movie again and and going over this week of minutes. I yeah I had forgotten that Act Three is a very truncated affair in mm-hmm. this movie and the inciting event of Peter Parker getting rid of the symbiote suit happens with so little time left. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of how Two-Face was handled in The Dark Knight, 
Yes. Where you kind of have all of a sudden, oh, well, we have a third act villain. Surprise. It's Two-Face. Congratulations, everyone. And you're left thinking, boy, it seems like we missed an opportunity here because this is a really classic villain, really great character, and just feels like we don't have enough time for it. Oh, and the movie's over. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's it's again. I think that was another another thing where it was like Nolan was using Two Face as a thematic metaphor rather than uh, an actual mm-hmm. character. Um, like in in both cases, would the movie be better served by having like the villain payoff? So you know, you have Harvey Dent through all of Dark Knight, and then Two Face doesn't show up until the next movie, and then you have the same mm-hmm. thing with the symbiote. You have the black suit. You can really play out the arc of Peter struggling with what the suit is doing to him and trying to get him off, and so on and so forth, and you know have Venom as a villain show up in the next movie. Yeah, it could work. Or, or if there was a way to integrate it more into the like main plot, more so than just... It, it's just the fact that it feels not tacked on, but rushed in the end, mm-hmm. basically, is I, th- is I think the issue. It's not really that the the character doesn't work or that you couldn't like envision a version of this movie where Venom works great. It's just that it's so stretched and then compressed right like we have a really drawn out build up to venom that we don't do much with and then we do all of it all at once within 30 right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i definitely think that that's that's definitely what it is um it's unfortunate but uh we're here with what we got and uh i will compliment this scene on one note which is that Mm. um kirsten dunce's uh performance here where she doesn't oh, yeah. really say a lot. Like the only thing that she says is like, who are you or, or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, but there's this moment where he's like, I don't know. And then looks down at his chest and sort of covers his, he does a, a little bit of a, uh, well, I do declare um, <laughs> kind of chest grab, but, <laughs> oh, but he, stars. Yeah. yeah, right. But he, he holds his, uh, he, he kind of covers his, his black suit and she has this look on his, her face. Like she wants so badly. Cause she knows that this isn't, this isn't him at all and that something's going on and it doesn't have to do it doesn't have as much to do with her breakup as as uh, she might have initially thought when he first showed up to the jazz club and there's something going on with him but she can't ask him about it she can't help because harry has threatened to kill him if she does if she reveals that the breakup was a farce um so like there's a lot of emotions crossing her face and they're all really good and they're all just that they're just emotions crossing her face and that's but you get all of that in her look yeah and it's really impressive it's also like a a good looking shot i mean it's a couple different shots of her but just like her on the ground looking up and realizing the the depth of the stuff is i think it's just a compelling shot of Kristen with her hair and everything and like it just it feels like a movie mm-hmm. in that moment, like <laughs> less like the goofy. I mean, I love goofy stuff. Uh, I, I do think that the goofy stuff we just witnessed is among the least successful goofy stuff in the film, <laughs> but that when we get that moment here, it feels like cinema again. Uh, like it's, it's all kind of working. And then, and then that leads us into the more quote unquote serious stuff for the rest of the week. Right. Yeah, yeah, every so often you are reminded, oh, right, Sam Raimi directed this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's really good at his job. He knows what he's doing. 
He does. Uh, yeah, this, he does. I think this movie has the most for Kristen Dunst to do. Yeah. As Mary Jane, she has oh, yeah. an arc. She has conflict. She has motivation. She has, you know, desires. Right. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. in you know, in the previous movies, they're just like, oh, hello, Mary Jane. You're you're, you're really nice to be here. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> right. Yeah. She's always done a great job with what little she's given, but it's so nice to see her be given more, mm-hmm. basically. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so Peter runs out of there and it looks Mar- like there's a nice Korean place right across the street from the, uh, <laughs> from the jazz club. Nice. Maybe he's hungry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I need some kimchi. Uh, <laughs> eat away all my troubles. Oh man. So he, uh, he runs out of there. Uh, MJ just sort of looks around like. I don't know, like what, what, what happened? You know, like she just sort of. Yeah, and the, yeah. I, I love the guy who's standing right behind her, who is deliberately turned away from her. Like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. That's yeah. oh, this is weird. No way. <laughs> well, it is not moving to help. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so not my circus, not my money. Yeah, right. No. Let's just mind our business, everybody. Um, I was here to listen to jazz, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to sing now? <laughs> Get back on stage. Uh, I've been waiting for you to sing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that showboat <laughs> took over. Um, <laughs> so so he, uh, he runs out of there, uh, runs around a corner. It's raining, of course, uh, because drama. Um, yes. And uh, uh, he's apparently under some sort of awning. Because he's he's dry, um, he doesn't appear to be getting rained on. But there's rain in the background, and then he hears uh, he hears some bells tolling in the background. Um, he sure does. And he has to gaze upwards. Yeah, uh, I don't know where those bells are coming from. Maybe we'll find out tomorrow. But we at least <laughs> he hears them and he looks. He sure does. He he go he goes a looking. Um, the rain actually reminded me of uh, the alleyway scene from the first movie mm-hmm. where you have the moment of intimacy between uh, Peter and Mary Jane. And now you've got the rain back again. But here there has been this terrible harm done to the relationship. That's true. Are those the only two times that there have been rain in these movies? Is um, Now and then that scene? Hmm. Yeah, I my brain starts to think there's like spider-man 2 ending rain but that's just they're in the warehouse and everything's wet right um, right mm-hmm. i mean there are yeah. there are there are in spider-man 2 there are raindrops that do fall on his head um <laughs> d- d- <laughs> during a sequence <laughs> metaphorical non-diagetic music versions of raindrops <laughs> yeah well i don't know i don't Very know good. that there's any actual rain um yeah so this uh, that's a that would that could be a nice uh, nice callback. I don't know whose decision it was to have it have there be rain here, but I assume it was Sam's. You know, sort of wanting to capture the uh, the sort of gothic feel of uh, the mm-hmm. next few yeah. minutes. Um, it works. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's not subtle, no, but it works. It's, it's not subtle, <laughs> though. There are less subtle things uh, later in the week. So um, <laughs> subtle is not a word I would ever use about the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, fair. especially not this yeah. one. <laughs> New no. Spider-Man Three. It's not. Subtle. They didn't have time to be subtle. Um, they, had, they had a movie to make and a deadline to hit. Oh, uh, anyway. All right. Well, yeah. uh, thank you for uh, being our guest today, uh, Father David. Can you come back for tomorrow? 
I, I certainly can come back. Before we go, I did have a little something that I wanted to throw in here at the end Please. of the episode, uh, if that's all right. Sure. Of course. Um, uh, there's a, you know, with all these, these superhero movies, it's, it's always fascinating for me as, as a priest to look at them from a, from a theological or philosophical viewpoint mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, to see the, the similarities uh present here and what they have to say on a, on a theological level. So there, there's a little little section of notes that I've got for each of these minutes that I like to call Christ and the Cape, you know, looking at <laughs> some God, of these yes. <laughs> theological elements uh, for the superhero movies. Uh, so just in, in this first little unit, uh, one of the things that I was really interested in throughout this movie were the, what the movie had to say about human nature, you know, and to use the mm. technical term, you know, the theological anthropology, what does it mean to be human? Ooh. I mean, so yeah. Yeah, a superhero movie in general uh, has a, a low opinion of human nature. Human beings cannot save themselves. A superhero is always required to meet whatever the threat du jour happens to be. Uh, and furthermore, in, in Spider-Man 3, um, there's even a more pessimistic view of human nature uh, because of what Dr. Connors says about the symbiote. You know, it, it amplifies characteristics, but you notice it never amplifies the good characteristics of, <laughs> right. of the persons it infects. It, it's always the bad ones. And so <laughs> it points to this pessimistic view of human nature that, that underneath this veneer of civility, we actually we have all this rage and aggression and anger and, you know, we really delight in being bad. So, you know, there's a uh, an inclination towards sin there that I, that I find interesting as a priest and something that fits mm. in with that Catholic view of original sin, that there's something in human nature that's that's twisted and it's gone wrong somehow and that needs correction. Um, mm. Now, at the same time, you know, the very nature of Spider-Man's powers, you know, he's bitten by a radioactive spider, it, it points to something of an optimistic view of human nature. You know, this idea that there's nothing inherently special about Peter Parker. He has to learn to be uh, worthy of the power that he's been given and, you know, be responsible with it. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I think uh, Into the Spider-Verse was trying to communicate was this fact that anyone can be Spider-Man. Anyone can wear the mask. And you know, there's a, a great optimism there that anyone who comes into possession of, of the kind of power um, that you know, Spider-Man's power set is, is a metaphor for can be responsible with it, can do great good with it. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, there's this interesting push and pull within the Spider-Man mythos. On the one hand, human beings need a superhero to save the day. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Peter Parker, random schlub, can be uh, worthy of the powers that he's been given you know, in speaking to this ability for humans to, to rise above uh, what they themselves you know, might be at, at a base kind of aggressive animalistic uh, level. Mm-hmm. You know, for that, you know, from a, a Christian point of view, that, that that presents a really interesting world in which to inhabit. And there's a lot that that I agree with as a priest. You know, the the thing that uh, I would point to as as very encouraging in this movie is the the way it deals with themes of of guilt and revenge, and and how human nature has to wrestle with those things, and how there are 
very inadequate ways of dealing with it. You know, Peter is racked with guilt over his responsibility for Uncle Ben's death, and he engages in a cycle of violence and revenge to try and find some sort of, of peace and closure with it, with both of the men, as it turns out, who are involved in this uh, ill-advised heist on an illegal cage fighting ring but anyway um, uh, but his his way of getting revenge is ultimately unsatisfying and leads him to this place where he's lashing out and hurting the people around him where he's indulging in this aggression indulging in this darker side of his nature ends up hurting the people around him and, and thank god that he has enough of a conscience left that he he comes to his senses that he has this moment of realizing that he has done wrong he has sinned and he there's there's a, a need to repent a need to turn away from this previous way of life mm-hmm. um but that's just a just a little hint of, of something to come mm-hmm. later on in this week yeah i i'm i'll be interested because i i, I want to there i'm going to be talking a little bit about uh some of the stuff that you brought up here um in tomorrow's minute but i want to save it for tomorrow because of how light the next couple of minutes are as far as uh, uh movie <laughs> content. content um sure. so so i'm going to i'm going to put a pin in that for tomorrow but uh, that's all great stuff and i think we're going to have a lot more to say about all of that uh in the week to come um, oh excellent yeah. yes thank you so much for sharing it's uh, it's beautiful and it's sort of a nice reminder that even a, a movie that a lot of people think doesn't work that well uh can have a lot of, of thematic depth to it when you start to to pull it, pull back the layers. So. Well, well, sure. I, as I always say, even you, even a, a silly, perhaps not well executed movie is still a story that's being told by human beings, and right. so there's yeah. still going to be something of depth there. There's still going to be something worth talking about thematically within it. Um, unless it's just an absolute stinker, in which case it only deserves the mystery <laughs> science theater treatment. But even then, you know, there's there's something where you can you can see the why the bad decisions were made. Um, and then when you're dealing with something as broad as a superhero story, which is dealing with you know, these big issues of good versus evil and salvation and overcoming adversity and all these things that uh, have captivated the human spirit, you know, since we've learned how to tell stories, you know, there's mm-hmm. going to be something. You know, valuable in there. You just kind of have to sift through some of it. <laughs> <laughs> sift through the sand, perhaps? Oh, uh, ooh, <laughs> perhaps, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I guess we'll do some more of that uh, later in this week. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing else to say on this minute. What do you think, Scott? No, I don't think so, but I'm sure our listeners have some things to say. And if they uh, want to uh, talk about any of the things that we've talked about today, the best place to do that would be the Spider-Man Minute Friendly Neighborhood Listener Group on Facebook. So join us over there and talk about uh, all of the things that we've talked about here. And stay tuned for the rest of the week as uh, we return tomorrow with Minute 102. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya.